0: New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989 and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. Welcome everybody. Um, We have about two minutes until uh, we're going to begin Um, but I want us to make the absolute most of this time so we're going to start now. (laughs) Um, Phyllis and I were just saying this week All the seminars are such big topics as we look at Renewed Minds and so much of that is around mental health. Um, So uh, please bear with us if we run maybe a tiny little bit late i'm doing that today because i'm doing a seminar tomorrow and i want to run late so (laughs) (laughs) so my name is ali and i'm part of the new horizon board though as i keep saying to people i always imagine trustees or board are really old people and i'm 21 (laughs) um so we're we're saying we're a very young board (laughs) Uh, but it is my pleasure and privilege to host this seminar this morning, and um, you are in a seminar with Phyllis Coulter, if you have now realised you're in the wrong seminar, this is the moment to be, <laughs> um, but it's lovely to see all your faces, thank you for coming today, just a couple of practical things, I hope there will be absolutely no emergencies, um, but We really have one entrance to leave, so everybody run out that, I mean walk gently out that door. Um, Phyllis and I are both trained counsellors, so we can help you with any trauma that may cause. (laughs) Um, And uh, another practical little point is today is being recorded, and if we manage to have some time for questions at the end, um, phyllis will probably repeat back what you're asking just for the benefit of the recording all right um, another very practical thing we would love that you don't record this <laughs> and put phones away and turn them off or put them on silent would be really appreciated so i am going to hand over to phyllis in a moment i'd love to pray um, and and you're in for a treat. I, I am hosting this seminar and I am a board member, but I also have a different hat with Phyllis. She's also my supervisor, so I'm being very well behaved today. <laughs> so As counsellors, we have supervision every month and pray for Phyllis. She is my supervisor. <laughs> she will have a very special place in heaven. But I have personally learned a lot from Phyllis. Um, And I absolutely know you, you will today too. So be blessed. Let's just pray. Let's settle ourselves. I don't know how many of you have fought through the coffee queue and thought you might not get out of it till Friday. And some of you have maybe dropped kids off and you're feeling a bit frazzled. So let's just take a moment for the Father's peace to settle upon us. Father God, we thank you that you are in this place. We thank you that you have been preparing this place you have been preparing uh, for each one of us to sit in the seat we're sitting in and to hear what Phyllis has to say and I pray that all of us will feel open that we will feel we can be fully present and attentive to your still small voice over the next hour so in Jesus name we pray your peace settles now uh, upon us, upon Phyllis, and maybe be receptive to all you have for us. Amen. Phyllis, could we just welcome Phyllis to sort of encourage her?
1: <laughs> Hello, and I'm so glad to see everybody. I was just saying earlier, this morning I was out walking along the glorious Atlantic Ocean beach. And it was all going swimmingly well and I was loving every minute of it. And suddenly I had a thought, what if I'm in the tent by myself? (laughs) (laughs) So I do want to talk to us about our minds, how they work. And I want to be absolutely with you in that because I know how the mind works in a psychological way in an ethical way, uh, in an emotional way. I've studied long and hard to think through these things and yet my thought this morning as I looked at the ocean suddenly turned on its head and changed. So we're all absolutely subject to the vagaries of being human. So anything that I say this morning is designed to be informative and encouraging and it is in no way judgmental and certainly not esoteric because we're all in this together and that's something that I'd like us to really hold in mind a couple of times during what I want to say I'll be asking you potentially to talk to each other someone beside you or behind you just so that we can share together, that we can be human together. And when you hear what other people are thinking, I hope there will be something that normalizes what you're feeling. But actually, I want us to be gentle with each other. I want us to be respectful of difference and to hear with the same attitude, with the same um, capacity for empathy, that you would expect or want or appreciate from someone else. So be gentle with each other, be human with each other, and we'll see what God has for us today. So when we talk about renewed minds, I just loved what John was saying earlier today. There's so many facets that we could understand about your mind being renewed The lovely thing for me is the absolute fact, both spiritually and psychologically, that we're shown in life over and over again is, our minds can be renewed. But I'd sort of like to encourage you by the thought that our minds need to be renewed. It isn't just a one only card, and it's not just a one only moment. We need to be constantly on the lookout for what's happening at the minute and what could be happening a little differently or a little better inside our hearts and minds. And that's what it is to be human. We're fickle. We're prone to spontaneous, errant thoughts like, what are you doing here? You'll be in that tent by yourself. I just thought that was a really interesting thing that John said, you know, what is it that... For me, what would it have meant if I'd been in this tent by myself? That people think I'm a fraud? That there's much better speakers down the street? That nobody's interested in this stuff? That I'm going to have to head out to my car in complete shame and disgrace and hope nobody notices that I was in a tent by myself? There's all sorts of errant thoughts that go on. And the longer we let those errant thoughts take traction in our mind, the more solid they become. The more evidence we gather, the more we seem to find other corroborating evidence. And that's one of the things that I want to talk about. Renewing your mind is about controlling, disciplining our minds. And I need that just as much as you do. So I'm gonna put a verse up and I'm hoping that most of you can see it. I'll read it out as well. And I'd really like you to take a look at it personally. And I'd really like you to look at the words and phrases in it and pick out for yourselves a couple of significant either words or phrases that you see today, right this minute, that are meaningful to you. Don't overthink it. Read this first personally, and make a couple of notes, either on your phone, if you've got a scrap of paper. This is about you first. You're not sharing this with anyone else. Yes. Yeah, so technology is amazing. It's fantastic. Okay, Okay, here's our verse. It's from Deuteronomy 31.6. I'm assuming most of you can see it. I'll read it out. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or scared of them. For the Lord your God himself is who goes with you. He will not fail you, nor forsake you. What of those words or phrases jump out at you in this moment? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or scared of them. For the Lord your God himself is who goes with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Once you've thought about that yourself and maybe taken a couple of words or phrases down, I'd really like you to be gentle now and talk to either the person beside you as well as people around you. So I guess what I'm saying is in groups of three, four or five, let's get some noise in this tent and share gently with each other what has stood out to you as you read this verse, what words and phrases strike you as significant, and please gently share that with the people around you. So I'm going to give you just about five minutes, try and let everyone have a wee go at talking in your wee group. Go. Great. I knew you could make some noise. So... I'm hoping that in your conversations together you realized, yes, there were some similarities, but I'm hoping you heard some thoughts that were different from yours. Yeah, some words that were standing out to some and not to others. Generally, our brains run too fast. And when your brain runs fast, you get the idea that everything is either slightly or very, out of control. So there's a real skill and benefit to slowing down your thoughts and how you talk to yourself, not just in what you say, and I'll come on to that in a minute, but how quickly you talk and how much ground you cover, how much material you skim over as you're thinking. So, slowing down, pausing, taking time to see details, like this verse. So, if I looked at that verse, personally, I'm struck by the word, them. Who's them? Right? And them to me will probably be very different than them to you. But are them? is really important to identify and to do some really accurate thinking about. I'm also struck in this verse by the word himself. I just love that the creator God, the totally sovereign Lord of all things, is interested in me himself. He takes time in that omnipotent way of his to pause with me. We need to slow down and realize that God himself slows down for us, with us. God is not that clockmaker who winds it up and lets it go. He's imminent. He's right here. He knows who them is for you, and he really cares about it. Slow down and hear him, hear from him, himself. So those are my thoughts. I just love that ending phrase about this creator God not forsaking me. We can skim over these things way too quickly, and I'm encouraging you, challenging you to pause. Look at the details. God's word is given to us to equip us to understand strength and truth in specifics. God's word does not deal in general terms God himself reveals himself to you. Let him do that. So I get the privilege of speaking with people who are trying to figure out some stuff in life. I get the privilege of sitting with young people, adults, couples. And I'm constantly aware of How complicated life seems. And yet when we drill down, we're actually simple creatures. Easily mixed up. Easily put off our track. Easily listening to the them. Our eyes and our minds cast away for trouble. And I'm asking us to be aware of the possibility of that, and the discipline of bringing your thoughts back, back into control, back into line, back into an accurate, solid way of assessing what you're thinking and feeling. Here's a verse. David's talking. David, eh? (laughs) What a boy! David's talking here David's saying a couple of really big things to his God. David knows his God. The history of David's people demonstrates a litany of the faithfulness of God, of the eminence of God, of the absolute consistency of God. And yet David's Questions, his pleas, his fear in this verse in Psalm ten is actually accusing God of big things, of dereliction, of a determined, of a conscious turning away from his child. David knows that's not who God is. So I would say this verse Freud would have a field day with this verse. This is a brilliant nutshell description of what Freud calls projection. David accuses God some of the stuff that David's doing himself. God is incapable of withdrawing from us. We know that, don't we? There are so many fantastic promises about the unbreakable nature of the salvation and atonement and adoption that God himself created for us and Jesus secured for us. We know this is not who God is. However, when stuff comes into our mind, it's us that are very capable of withdrawing from him, of hiding ourselves from him, or even just assuming That God will be so cross with me, ashamed of me, that i got to go hide. I did it again. I'm weak at this faithfulness stuff. Please know, the God whom we worship, the God who has revealed himself to us, is impassable, unchangeable absolutely dependable. The attributes of God are worth setting our minds on. Are worth populating our doubts with or rather balancing our doubts with. So even if you just Google the attributes of God and dine out on some of those words which when you pick them apart are so encouraging. So Let's not imagine that God stands afar off, ever. Let's not believe that we need to hide from him. When you're in trouble, that's the very time to come close, to be drawn into the very presence of God himself. So I would say Freud would have a field day with this verse. But we don't want to have the enemy to have a field day with this verse either. Draw close to God. He is already close to you. Now, we're 2022. And we've had quite the journey recently, haven't we? What about this? There he is, (laughs) okay, our bojo, right? And every day for months on end, didn't we tune in for this one? The statistics, the trouble, the fear, the direction, the control. Here's what I want to say. In terms of our minds, this little banner is really effective at getting several messages across. So the obvious one is, you've got to mind yourselves. There is danger. We're telling you as a government, go home. You know, that's practically unheard of, isn't it? Imagine what children will look back in history classes in school in about a hundred years. They did what? (laughs) Who let them go home for a year? They paid them wages without working? So there's all the humour that we can even, in our good Norn-Arn way, we can come up with around this stuff. Make no mistake. These messages are massive on a psychological basis. Because the idea is, if you extrapolate what's been said, staying home saves lives. So the opposite of that is going out. What? Puts people in danger, kills people. So there's a lot of unconscious messages then about your safety, about the safety of others, about the state of the world, and we were saturated with that. Month after month, we got fear, we got uncertainty, and we got a lot of chemical production in our bodies to get us prepared for that danger, fear, and uncertainty none of that is fun. So that has a physical impact on us. There are chemicals produced when we are in actual danger that can be really helpful. Let me tell you this story. A couple of years ago, I'm working. So my children were teenagers at the time. The instruction was, when I'm in that room working, unless your leg is falling off, don't knock the door. <laughs> and they were brilliant at that. Okay. So I was working. I heard a kerfuffle. I knew it was in the kitchen. I'm blocking it out I'm giving attention to the person I'm with. I end that conversation and I see the person out, come into the kitchen, bedlam. My daughter is lying on her back under the sink with tiles absolutely saturated, and my son is at the island waiting on his tea. <laughs> so. So I walk in, I see my daughter, I say, oh, so I call her Lam, right? Oh, Lam. She said, Mom, if you don't get him out of this kitchen, I'm going to kill him. (laughs) And he said, but Mom, it's three minutes to five and the oven is not on. (laughs) Okay, so I'm on the phone to someone who knows what to do with flooding kitchens and the instruction was find the stopcock and turn it off well that's easier said than done isn't it so i relieve my daughter i take over the towel holding my son's at the island because it's now two minutes to five and she goes to the little downstairs loo oh yes i find it i said brilliant darling turn it off let's make an end to all this water and lo and behold the water ceased. Amazing. I expected a dove with a little branch to come into the kitchen. So the water had stopped. When my daughter came back into the room, she was real pleased with herself. Of course, that all disappeared when she saw that I was actually making my son his tea before he had an actual meltdown. And we sat waiting on the fantastic plumber to come and help us out. So Julie came, real emergency response. He fixed this thing that was wrong under the sink. And he said, where's your stopcock? My daughter's all over that like a rash. And said, oh, I find it. It's in the downstairs loo. So this plumber came back in, big burly boy, came back into my kitchen and said, who turned the stopcock off? She did. (laughs) I was very keen to blame the teenager. She did. And he brought us both into the loo and he was swinging with all his might on that stopcock and couldn't move it. And he could not believe that a teenage girl had been responsible for turning it off. So he went out to his van, he got all these things, and eventually he got that shifted. And I said to both of them, that'll be the adrenaline. Right? My daughter was up to high do. You know that expression, don't you? Up to Haidu, soaking wet, really fearful that the whole house was going to collapse. She had a job to do. And in those moments, adrenaline fueled her with extra strength. par In the moment to get the job done. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. This same adrenaline is called for when I'm walking beside the Atlantic Ocean and suddenly think I might stand in that tent by myself. Because that brings fear and uncertainty in the same way, calling for my body to have the same physical reaction. What do I do with that adrenaline when I don't have a stopcock to turn off? It courses through my system anyway It impacts my physiology, and it also interrupts my good brain function. When my daughter's turning that stopcock off, she does not need to know how many eggs make a good pavlova. She doesn't need to know the square root of pi. Good thinking gets switched off. When we feel fear and uncertainty to such a degree, we do not think well. Our minds are convinced that the only thing to be thinking about is survival. And I want to gently say sometimes we get that wrong. Our thoughts pull us away into what we're fearing. And if you think about that verse in Deuteronomy, who is them? John talked about that very honestly this morning when he said, in his own counselling, he was encouraged to think about the people who he was constantly trying to please, never quite making it. And undermined at every point in his own mind about his failure and about his lack of ability to reach this benchmark. Our thoughts are not always worth following. So I want to say that gently. Our thoughts are not always worth following. Some of our thoughts are really good to set down, to walk away from. So the past couple of years, we might think have not been so much fun. So I want to do a wee bit of neuroscience. I want to distill down some of the big brains that are thinking in our world today. I'm constantly encouraged when there's a buzz about a piece of research that's coming out and, and scientists have discovered something amazing about the human brain. I'm constantly encouraged by what I hear them say because I see this phenomenon or way of thinking already recorded for us in scripture so regularly my husband will say what do you make of that and i'll say well paul talks about that in philippians so the bible is not behind it's not caught out god's word is full of good psychology that is still being corroborated like they're the first people to think about it Actually, our God has equipped us with amazing truth and ways of thinking because he knows us. He is our creator. So I want to give you this sweet concept. There are many ways to divide the brain. The purposes of this thought, I want to divide our brain into top and bottom. The research will tell us that our thinking brain is at the top all our good vocabulary, all our good problem-solving, risk assessment. It's all at the top of our brain, thinking brain, adult brain, executive function. It's quite a few names for it. Research then also identifies that the part of the brain at the bottom, physically at the bottom, is our younger brain, our emotional brain. So I came into the tent just this morning. A very nice man said, where's your laptop? And my honest answer was 70 miles away at home. And honestly, I felt like a five-year-old. He was amazing. Went and found a laptop. All got sorted out. I felt like a five-year-old. I panicked. I'm thinking, actually, I'm not going to be in this tent by myself which is one good thing, but now I'm going to have to do this whole thought process without PowerPoints. There's (laughs) (laughs) death, And it all worked out swimmingly well because someone stepped in who was in receipt of their thinking brain, whereas I had lost temporary control of mine. So your young brain gets itself in a pickle really quickly right, really quickly. Say a five-year-old, eight-year-old, ten-year-old wanders in here and I might hand them the keys to my car and say, my car's over there, just um, move it closer to the door for me. (laughs) Right? And so said child thinks, oh my word, yes, I'll do that. I can do that. And she seems to think I can do that. And even if he gets the car turned on, what happens after that? Right? I'm hoping for a no claims bonus or something, but what happens after that? The young brain realizes really quickly oh, actually, I'm out of my depth. This car driving's not for me. Our young brain is amazing for appreciating fun and connection and imagination. It's not so good when it's left with the responsibility of making big decisions in our adult lives. So, neuroscience tells us all of the information that happens to us in life comes in through our eyes, ears, nose, our senses. And it comes into the middle part of your brain. Again, Google this, limbic system. All of the information that happens around you comes into the middle of your brain, and decisions are made. And I want to just leave you with a quirky question today. When information comes in, the question to ask yourself is, which part of my brain will manage this best? Am I going up? or down? Which part of my brain is best suited to working this out? So Mm. So here's what happens in the middle part of your brain. There's three parts of your brain and they're really good at what they do. One part of this limbic system is your alarm system. That's the alarm system that told my daughter this situation in the kitchen was chronic. Big trouble. There's actual danger, and I need to do something about it. So there's an alarm system Do you remember what I said, though? The same alarm system might sound when I think, oh, my word, I might have to stand in that tent by myself. Same alarm system. But for me, two different decisions need making. Because is it actual danger? Or is it my perceived lack of satisfaction or confidence? Or is it the lack of good evidence that things are well-connected for me, that I'm held in good esteem by others? Because the same part of your brain is firing off an alarm? Danger. So that's my quirky question. When your alarm sounds, is it a stopcock issue or is it a self-confidence issue? And therefore, which part of my brain Needs to manage this. So the other quirky thing that happens in the middle of our brain is that there's a medium and long-term memory store there. So when danger comes, our brain is looking for previous experience of similar things. So so for example, the next time my daughter is in any building and there's a flood, she's got that stopcock absolutely owned she's been there before she's been super successful A plumber was super impressed with her she's fighting people out of the way to get to that (laughs) stopcock so that's what our our memory store does it reminds us of similar things so i'm saying that stopcock thing for my daughter can be a positive now but remember Me standing on the beach, thinking about an empty tent, I'm filing through my stored memories for other similar thoughts, events, fears. One of the lovely things to keep in mind is whatever you give your brain to think about, that's exactly what it does. Wherever you send your brain looking for evidence, It will find it for you. So how you phrase the question, how you control your vocabulary, influences which of these memories your brain goes searching for to corroborate your next move. Am I making sense? So if these... Images and events come into the middle of your brain. Where do they go next? You can change that. We are indeed made to be accurate, conscious, aware, practical. We can choose wisely with the mind that we've been given where we send these thoughts to. Just imagine sending them down to your younger brain. You're overwhelming the eight-year-old with the keys to a car that's very soon going to be way too much for them. Where does the child go with that? Usually into hysterics. And we expect that from a 10-year-old. But I want to gently say to you, you're just as likely to be in hysterics If the wrong part of your brain is trying to manage something that's overwhelming to it. But the good news is God gives us a resource in the adult part of our brain, in the thinking part of our brain, that sees this in a better perspective. Upstairs or down. So it's not about stopping the thoughts coming in. There's a lovely statistic, I think the human brain is capable of like 150,000 thoughts per day. That's exhausting. But the fact is that very few of them actually need acted on. They're random, they're an indication of your imagination, your capacity for fantasy. Thoughts do not define you. They do not represent you. They're just an indication of what you're capable of thinking of. So let's think of our brain. Middle part of your brain gives you a chance to choose wisely. What do I do with this thought? Which part of my brain am I going to give it to? Here's how Paul helps us again. This is what I love about these lists of things that Paul gives us. That's why for me he's really savvy with his psychology. He doesn't just say, hey, whatever's true, make sure you think about that. So that verse would be really tiny. No, no. Look at the list Paul gives. Why does he give that list? Because we're tricky. Because we need convincing sometimes. Because once isn't enough. Because we need to be reminded and reminded and saturated with thoughts that properly direct our errant brain function. So I'm saying to you, slow down with this verse and understand that there's so many good pieces of advice here is what i'm thinking true we don't stop there is it right pure lovely these things can helpfully extrapolate what you're thinking go right down that list paul tells us one of those is not enough and all of them gives your brain a chance to reorientate itself, redirect itself to good thinking, to good resources. Because at the top of your brain, in the thinking executive part of your brain, is also a great memory store. Why, oh why, does the negative drawers in our filing cabinet open first? Hmm? Hmm? all these other drawers are neglected. So one of the lovely things that neuroscience tells us is the importance of serotonin. Without serotonin, your brain will not work well. Google that. Serotonin, because we are so brilliantly made by the creator who wants good things for us, serotonin can be naturally produced, enhanced, and um you know what's that word i'm looking for perpetuated kept going at a good level serotonin can do those things if we repeat and rehearse good memories now when i say good memories i don't mean those huge life events you pass your driving test you Graduated, you got married, your children got married, your mortgage was paid off. All those lovely things. I'm not talking about those big events in life. I'm talking about the last time you had a really good Sunday lunch with your family. I pride myself on making fabulous mashed potatoes. <laughs> you can come see them if you like. Taste them if you like. Um, Okay, so when was the last time you had a really good Sunday lunch with your family? When was the last time you had a really good conversation with a friend over coffee, over the phone, over WhatsApp? When was the last time you completed a task at work and were able to review that and think, yay. Right? Small recurring and yet actually vital things that we store in our good memory drawers. Get them out and repeat, rehearse and revisit them and talk to others about them. That's a lovely conversation starter. I had this lovely thought the other day and I remembered uh, a time when I went on holiday and I saw a lovely dolphin. It doesn't matter. And then ask the same question to them. What's your favorite holiday memory? What's your favorite family memory? When's the last time you had a good chat with someone over a coffee? How did it feel the other day when you went for a walk, got slightly exhausted and thought, yeah, you deserve a cup of tea and a biscuit? So all those Tiny memories. Those are the ones that I'm saying neuroscience tells us. Pull them out of the drawer and repeat them. Rehearse them. Talk to others about them. Hear from others about theirs. And your serotonin rises. We know that connecting with others encourages them. I'm saying connecting with others can encourage both of us. Rehearse the good things because they're stored too. Our negative things come out when we're afraid. We join dots that actually have no place being joined just because we're afraid. We're afraid of what they mean. We're afraid of what might happen next. We're afraid of what we're missing out on. We're afraid of what people are doing better than us. I mean social media. Come on. There was a friend of mine was out about a month ago, and she said, I have to tell you this. We were out, we were all mucking around, our kids were hysterical, our dog had jumped in the water. It was real chaos. We were all filthy because we were trying to get each other back to the car. And we came across a family who were posing for a selfie. Now, that sounds quite straightforward, doesn't it? But my friend was able to say, Twenty takes later, the person wasn't happy with the expressions, with the poses, with the picture, and said out loud, and, and my friend at that stage was saying, said very loudly, this needs to go on my feed this afternoon. Buckle up, get on point, you're wasting my time to two five-year-olds and a dog. <laughs> and then they were so afraid. She said even the dog looked afraid. <laughs> they were so afraid by her change in tone that they all suddenly went. <laughs> and then she, she was showing this round. Fantastic. Absolutely perfect. Oh my word, I can't wait to post that. And what was missing from that story was the absolute chaos and falseness behind the picture. So my friend was saying, her friends will probably look at that and think, oh, yeah, she's always so perfect. (laughs) Her children are traumatized. (laughs) And her dog needs therapy. (laughs) Because she needed a good post. So I'm being lighthearted at the minute. I know there are lots of positive things about social media. What I'm saying is we use it to fuel the wrong types of thoughts. And in many ways, I'm saying we're sending those thoughts down to our younger brain. I need this. This isn't right yet. We're not leaving till I'm happy. There's only one way to do this. I'm getting more and more overwhelmed with you because you're not giving me what I want Does that or does that not sound like the practices of a six-year-old? So I'm just saying, which part of your brain do you give these big decisions to? Would it not be nice to post a little chaotic photo and say, meh, that was the Coulters today. That's the best we could do. You could start modeling humanity in a very different way. So, I'm asking us to think about God and who he is. As I draw this to a close, we can all think of stories and characters in the Bible who were under pressure, who were furious at God's inertia. Where was he? Does he not see what's going on? You think of Job, absolutely, but you think of Habakkuk. David, at times, you think of the returning children of Israel from exile. Where is God? What's He doing? Doesn't He see this pain we're in? Every single time that people are expecting God to show up and fix what's happening with them, I'm fascinated. God turns up. Oh, you betcha! At every time. Absolutely, God turns up as the God he is. He wants them to lift their eyes and view him in all of his majesty, in all of his awe, power, otherness. Job's ready for a fight. Job's ready for a courtroom. Job's ready for a set my case out. I'll show you what you're missing. You don't have all of these facts, right? Once I put you straight, you'll fix all this. Hmm? So human. But God shows up in Job 38. Honestly, Job 38 to 41, if you saturate yourself with that, if you glean words and phrases out of what God says to Job, it's so encouraging. God talks about being God, about what he's capable of, about who he is, about how he is worthy of our worship, of our trust. See your big God today. Now, I'm not making light of and I'm not seeking to diminish what can be really tricky personal circumstances. I'm not doing that. But I am gently and firmly saying the antidote to how our brain is working through these things is getting a renewed vision of who our God is Isaiah 40, Psalm 37, Job 38. These are some of my favorites that I need to be reminded of. Who my big God is. How I've become stuck in my young brain, overwhelmed with these adult things, trying to work them out with my emotional younger brain. Take your thinking brain to... Your God and bask in his majesty. That's what he wants to encourage you with today. He's not overwhelmed by your circumstances. He is not absent from your circumstances. And in in David's mind in Psalm 10. He was turning away from God. He was losing hope of God's eminence. And it changed everything for him. He was then accusing God of things that God is not guilty of. So let me just end with this. Psalm 23 might be special to lots of you. might not be special to some of you at all. Psalm 23 begins with the verse, it's so familiar to us, the Lord is my shepherd. The next sentence is, usually in versions, I shall not want. One of the versions quirkily interprets that is, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Do you get that? Do you believe that? Do you see that? Do you lose sight of that? All right, so here's a couple of pictures. If if the Lord is your shepherd, that makes you a sheep. Okay, all right. (laughs) So my question to you as we end is, what sort of a sheep are you? What sort of a sheep are you? Do you recognize yourself on this screen? (laughs) Do you recognize the lamb? Who looks quite sprightly, lambs ready to go? Or what about these other wee lambs that look like actually they need a bit of spoon feeding, not ready to go on their own? What about the boyo in the middle with the big black head? Any black sheep in here? What about this wee scrag bag at the top? Some of his flesh is not just adhering very well. Looks in a bit of poor shape. Maybe not that positive about his prospects at all. What about this big boy at the top? My word, he has wool for Ulster. Wool for Des. He could share some of that wool. What about this boy over here? This boy over here has... Lots of resources, lots of goodwill. But there are parts of this boil that feel really vulnerable. Hmm? What sort of a sheep are you? Answer that question over the next couple of days. Talk about it. Have some fun with it. But land on an answer. How do you see yourself in relation to your shepherd? So what sort of a sheep are you? And where are you in relation, in vicinity to your shepherd? Are you right up, confident of his attention, needing his connection, but being sure of it? Or are you withdrawing? Are you lagging at the back because you're not sure you're good enough? Some of this rag taggy wool of yours? Where are you in relation? to your shepherd who is your shepherd and that for me is not a question for your young brain that's a question for your thinking brain and if you're a sheep in one of these pictures might you like to change to be the sheep in some of the other pictures go for it why not We're capable of change. We're capable of being renewed. God is our constant. He is planning life for us. His will is done. He has a better picture of you than you do. Does God see you as the same sheep that you see yourself? Or might God have a more accurate picture of the sheep that you are and the place that you hold in his heart? The Lord is your shepherd. And you can renew your mind to draw close to him, be fed and guided and looked after by the creator. And I hope you can do that. So your thoughts come in in the middle. Do they go up or down? Have some fun with that during the week. So just as we end, I'd really like to give a couple of minutes If anybody has a question or even an observation about anything I've said, about anything maybe that I've left unsaid, I'm happy to take a question or two. You're all very shy. I've wanted this to be encouraging. Is there a question? Oh, yes. That's a lovely question. So the question was, we talk about growing and maturity. Is that about spiritual age, or has it anything to do with physical age? I mean, there are very young children whose brains are on the road to developing, who have a much more simplified view of life and number of resources to deal with life. But I think Christian maturity can be evident in our lives at every stage relative to our aging process. God continues to go with us. He wants us to move from milk to meat. So we should be aiming for spiritual maturity. And there are some of us who get to the ripe old age of whatever that is, and we could do with some maturity, spiritually. So it doesn't necessarily come with age. We need to be working at it. We need to make a decision for spiritual maturity. What we read influences what we think. We're reading a great book at home at the minute called um, The Art of... Of just escapes me there. The Art of Holiness. So it's by Joel Beakey and Michael Barrett. Michael Barrett talks about us seeing ourselves as grasshoppers. Do you remember Joshua and Caleb came back with the report from the Promised Land? Oh, the grapes are amazing, but the giants are horrendous. And the report from the others was, yes, the grapes are good, giants are horrendous, we're grasshoppers. And these people were sent out because they were seen to have maturity. They were trusted, they were on the road for quite some time, they were held in good esteem. They came back with this negative idea that we're grasshoppers and we've no chance against the giants. So... Michael Barrett is challenging us to think about how we see ourselves. Because we can see our giants. That's in Deuteronomy, the them. We can see them. Psalm 23 talks about them as well. They're looking at us, staring down at us, waiting to trap us. But what are we focusing on in terms of spiritual maturity? How many times have we reminded ourselves That little is much in the eyes of God. That he is perfectly capable of looking after us, whether we're a lamb or a grasshopper. He is our strength. He is what we should be striving to be more like. So in terms of maturity, age is a sort of a number. Take yourself in hand. Take yourself in hand. Want to be the mature Christian that you can be at this age, right now, and ask God for direction. Good for you. What effect does stress have on your brain? Honestly, the simple answer to that is stress closes your thinking brain down. It convinces you of danger. It floods you with adrenaline. It changes and quirks your perspective. Stress makes us subject to panic so in stress we need to step back breathe in through our nose and reconnect with our thinking brain and i don't mean to simplify that stress is a an issue for lots of people in life but there is an antidote to it and god has given us the resource in our thinking brain to manage, to problem solve, to risk assess, to gain perspective on whatever we are worried and fearful about. So stress closes your thinking brain down and your determination and control and discipline can open up your thinking brain again. And that's the lovely antidote to stress, your thinking brain. One more, one more. (laughs) Ha. <laughs> so the question there was is there good stress yes in little doses <laughs> so the idea that my daughter went to the loo and turned the stopcock off that's about stress that's about channeling properly power and good thinking at the moments when it would make a difference but the danger is when stress is low-grade or high-grade and ongoing, our brain tends to get overwhelmed by it. So a little bit of stress can sharpen your responses, but the longer you, you experience that idea of stress or anxiety, the more your thinking brain is in danger of closing down, and we need to keep it open. Thank you. Wow. Thank you for listening to this talk.
0: If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at
1: newhorizon.org.uk.